I had missed a few people coming in who did not get the handout. I know I missed a few over there. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Let's look at missions. I, uh, I do have three books out on the table. Uh, book on numerology, divine design of digits. Uh, talks about numbers in the Bible, what they symbolize. And then I've got the yoke of Christ, a book that tells how they train oxen in third world countries. And that's a very interesting book, uh, some things there. And then the last book I uh, published was a book called Dimensions Beyond. And it, it is a book. Uh, I've got a math background like my brother Lamar did. And uh, I got a physics minor and then God called me to preach, of all things. So what, what is going on here, Lord? And so I combined some of those disciplines into the book. And um, I had a subscription to Scientific American at one time. I don't now. I probably need to go back and renew it. And uh, in that, they told me that two mathematicians had proven that our universe has ten dimensions. And I left the mailbox saying, wow, I only know about three or four if you count time as a fourth one. And the Holy Spirit said, well, you know, haven't you read the verse where the eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither is it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for you. He actually quoted Isaiah who said, for those that wait on him. And uh, I said, wow, does that mean, Lord, when I leave this world, I'm going to leave a four-dimensional world and then go to a ten-dimensional world in the heavens? Uh, it, it was uh, sort of staggering to me. I waited about three years, Brother Rodney, before I preached any sermons. But every time I'd read my Bible, I'd come across something strange, something unusual. And... Uh, uh, the Holy Spirit would say, well, that's, uh, that's part of those ten dimensions I told you about. And so eventually I preached some sermons. I hit them on Wednesday night, though, I think, every other Wednesday night. So I didn't have anybody coming in that, except friends and close family maybe think I was crazy about what I was saying. <laughs> and so uh, I ended up, I printed the book at their request. And so, anyway, check our table out. We got some pictures back out of the line. The lion and the lamb. You see the three, three trees at the very top? Three crosses down there. You see the rod, the golden rod? There's the star of David, Alpha and Omega, empty tomb. You, there are all kinds of things hidden in that picture. And I got my niece to paint that for me. She graduated from Pensacola Christian College in the art department. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. This is the main crux of missions that God has given to us. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So this was the commandment, we call it, 
as Christians, the great commandment, the great commission. This is the command for us to go. Now look at your outline there. First, look at the verbs in this, these two verses. You got go at the top. So we're to go. We'll find out later where we go. But we're simply to go. We're to tell other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what do we tell them? Well, he was born in Bethlehem as the son of God. Most people celebrate Christmas. Uh, atheists will celebrate Christmas. <laughs> I mean, uh, strange religions will celebrate Christmas. I was in India one time on a mission trip near Christmas time, and I said, man, looks like everybody celebrates Christmas. And the missionary with me said, yeah. He said, all the other religions, uh, they all celebrate Christmas. So people know about Christmas. And then you tell them he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross why did he die on a cross? He died to pay for our sins through his blood. And so we go and tell them. But the good news is he arose from the grave on the third day. And that's that in Bible school we call the gospel. That's the gospel. Nothing else than that is Jesus uh, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and rose from the grave. Now, that's what we teach them. You see the next? Go you therefore and teach all nations. Teach all nations. What do we teach them? Well, uh, missionaries, some missionaries have what's called a chronological study of the Bible. And the chronological study uh, talk because some people, when I went into Albania on a mission trip, they were under communism for about 80 years, and they didn't teach the Bible at all. They were atheists. They had no idea what the Bible said. So we teach them, how, why are we here? We're here because God created Adam and Eve, and then they fail, they sinned, and because of that, then that has been inherited by us, and that all are sinners. And it don't take long talking to some folks for them to say, yeah, yeah, I've, I've done some things wrong. Uh, I told pastor yesterday, I said, you know, the church is the only organization in the world that welcomes sinners. We want sinners to come because we are sinners. We have been sinners. We're sinners but saved by the grace of God. And so we, we're the only group that will welcome uh, sinners in. Everybody else say, well, wait a minute, you're, you're not our kind. And go somewhere else. And, uh, but not the church. The church welcomes sinners in because we've been there. And so we teach them about redemption, how Christ died. And once they know that, then they get saved. Look at the next word, the next verb. Go, teach, baptizing. So then we baptize them. Now, we've gotten a lot of trouble as Baptists for doing that. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, uh, the other religions put people to death for baptizing after they supposedly had been sprinkled with water as a baby. But here's the problem. Babies cannot make a conscious decision. They don't know what they're doing. And so that's why we early Baptists uh, revolted, rebelled against that teaching because we read our Bible. 
And the Bible said you've got to have a conscious knowing of being drawn to God by the Holy Spirit to be saved. And then if, when that happens, then first uh, commandment is that we baptize. So that's the second thing we do. And how do we baptize? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We only have one God who's revealed himself in three persons, three beings, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And that's revealed several times in the scripture where when Jesus uh, was baptized by John, Jesus, the Son of God, came out of the water. The Holy Spirit uh, came down in the form of a dove and there was a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son. So the Trinity sometimes is a little difficult to understand. I, um, you know the dimensions of the ark? It is 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high, and it's 300 cubits long. The ark of Noah, when I got studying about numbers in the Bible, in this book I wrote here on numbers, I found out, I didn't realize this, but uh, 30 symbolizes Jesus. He was about 30 when he started his ministry. The high priest had to be 30. 30 associates to a man, a high priest, someone of power, someone who had this blood in him. 50, we know Pentecost, 50 associated with the Holy Spirit. And then as I got further in the numbers and got to number 300, I found out 300 symbolizes father, father figure. And I said, wait a minute. I've seen these three numbers before, 30, 50, and 300. Oh, yeah, that's the dimensions of Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark has the dimension symbolically of the Holy Spirit the Lord Jesus, and the Father. All wrapped. It, it amazed me, uh, Pastor, when I discovered that, that there he was. And so we baptized them. Now, there's a little confusion over in Acts 2.38. Um, Peter said, Be baptized in the name of Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. Now, when he says the name of Jesus, that word name has a connotation of authority. So be baptized in the authority of Jesus. He's not going to give us two ways to baptize people. He's only going to give us one way. And he's saying over in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 about the authority. The authority that Jesus gave. And Jesus said to baptize him in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Now look at the next verb in verse 19 20. You go, go, teach baptize. Look at verse 20, teaching them. Well, you teach after they get saved. You teach them how to get saved to start with. It's what a missionary does. And then after they get saved, we have Sunday school. And that's why we have Sunday school. And what do we teach them? Well, primary thing, we teach them to go. And it's a circle. And so this generation teaches the next generation how to go, and that's, that's the mission work. Now, look at number two, the method, Acts 1 and 8. 
Jesus said, you shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem, uh, in all Judea, in Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. So where are we supposed to do this? Well, you see, it starts in Jerusalem. Where is Jerusalem for Calvary Baptist Church of Marshall, Missouri? Marshall. That's right. This is our Jerusalem. And we have to be witnesses. We should be witnesses here in this area. What's the name of the county, Hunter? Celine. Uh, not Celine, but Celine. <laughs> Got to get that Missouri connotation in there, right? Celine. And uh, we, we are to be witnesses in Marshall. Uh, we ought to represent the Lord when we wake up till we go to bed. We ought to represent Him if we go out of the house. We ought to re represent Him when we mow our grass because people are watching. We, we represent the Lord wherever we are, especially on the job. And uh, so uh, that's our Jerusalem. In all Judea, that'll be Selene in which the church is located. We're to be a witness to the whole county. Amen. Now I know we go out of the county sometimes to work, but we're still to live for God and be a live witness for them. And then in Samaria. Now you remember Samaria was a place that uh, the Jewish people didn't like. These people had... Uh, they had broken the command to just marry within the Jewish family. And they had married Gentiles. And they had become what, what they would, the Jewish people would consider as being a half-breed. And the Jews didn't like going in Samaria. They would for business reasons. In John chapter 4, who came to the well? Jesus is waiting at the well for a woman. Why is he waiting there? Why didn't he go on into town? He could have easily gone in town and uh, got bread and something to eat with the disciples, but he had a mission. He was waiting at the well for the lady in Samaria to come out. And, it, and you know, John takes a chapter or so for her to discover who he is. And gradually... He uh, reveals himself to her. She first starts off, well, you, you Jews, y'all don't associate with us. But she's talking to the wrong person there. Jesus loved her. And Jesus uh, is going to save her. And uh, so they, even though they were outcast from the Jewish society, she uh, was the target focus of the Lord Jesus Christ. And gradually, she revealed to him that he was the Messiah. She didn't believe him at first, but then he started discerning her background and her life and told her all things about herself. And she said she left her water pots, ran into town, and told everybody, come see a man that told me everything. And uh, then, here they all start coming out. And then Christ has a meeting at the well, and many of them get saved. This is why later after the day of Pentecost, Philip feels the urging of the Holy Spirit to go down to Samaria. 
The groundwork had already been laid by the Lord Jesus Christ in the residence of Samaria getting saved. And he went down there as an evangelist and started preaching and winning the Samaritans to the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally it got revealed to the Jewish men. You know, God has not only sent the Messiah to save the Jews, but he sent them to save the Gentiles also. And I praise the Lord for that. Thank God for that. I rejoice in that. Now that's, uh, what is that? Well, that's the nursing home, the jails. Uh, the place is not so, uh, you know, popular. Uh, I know many places have been closed down, uh, you know, but uh, these are the places where uh, really, I don't know if I should use this word, the outcast of society are. You know, I visited, preached, uh, sung, played, took my guitar and played in the nursing home many times. And many of those people have family. Once they put them in the nursing home, have never visited them again. And I have become one of their favorite people. Isn't that amazing? Go and just love people Amen. and care for them. And uh, we'd go into nursing home and, and I'd start calling them by their name and welcome them into the service. And oh, a smile would come on their face. And the outcast of our society need our love towards them. I preached in jails before there in Hamilton County, there in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, uh, our sheriff of our county is a good Christian man. And uh, I've gone in there and preached and uh, talked to them. I went to uh, uh, Silverdale Correctional Unit there in the county and... Uh, Lo and behold, I, I saw a black man whom I had, had was in our church. He wasn't a member, but he came to our church for a long time. And I said, what are you doing in here? And uh, he said he didn't, have, he didn't make his child payments. And I said, listen, he said, I lost my job. I couldn't make my child payments. The county came and picked me up. I said, listen, when that happens, you go back and talk to the judge and tell the judge I lost my job. I can't pay. He don't really want to put you in jail. I said, uh, uh, he'll, he'll work with you. And uh, I said, I think maybe you're in here to hear the gospel some. And he agreed with me. And uh, I gave him work some there at the church uh, just to help him out. But Samarita, Samaria is the place we need to go to because these people have a soul. And that soul is going to live or die. Now, the uttermost part is the remainder of the world where you do not live. Now, how do I be a witness to them? Well, I don't feel called of God to go to Afghanistan. be a little dangerous right now, wouldn't it? That's what Jonah was called to do, to go to Nineveh. That's one reason Jonah said, uh, I'm going to take it and I'm going to Tarshish. I'm not going to go over there. Well, they'll kill me. The Ninevites were, were very horrible to the people they captured. They would skin them, scalp them like the Indians did out west, and let them die a horrible, feverish death, a prolonged death. And so uh, we're to go to the uttermost part of the world. I haven't been called to go there. I haven't been called to go to Spain, Philippines, wherever the place may be, Africa. 
but I know people who have. And that's where I give each month to my mission program at our church. We give so that they can go. And I'll preach later uh, this week maybe how, what all that means about giving. And so we're to be witnesses. I can be a witness in my city. I can be a witness in my county. I can be a witness in the nursing home or jail. Uh, I can be witnesses in those places. But to the uttermost part of the earth, unless I travel there, I can't be a witness unless I give to my mission pro here at my local New Testament Baptist church. So look at number three. Oh, preacher, you're not going to preach about money, are you? Oh, my goodness. That's all you preachers are wanting is money. Not so. Not so. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Let's turn over there. I'll read it. What time we close, Pastor? Quarter till. Is that 25 till or 15 till? <laughs> 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, we go there. And Paul in, in Corinthians is talking about a mission venture. Well, this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And we, he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, there are three tithes mentioned, or three offerings in the New Testament. You go to the Old Testament, it's loaded with all kinds of offerings. A lot of offerings. First is the tithe. The tithe is dictated by the Bible. Genesis 14, 20, Abraham gave tithes into Melchizedek. Genesis 28, 22, Jacob gave tithes unto the Lord. Deuteronomy 12 and 6, and I wrote these down so you can take this paper home with you and, and look these up. But there is the tithe dictated to the children of Israel. And Matthew 23, 23, uh, Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees, and he says, I'm amazed at you. Now here, here was the tithe. When they lined the sheep up to go in the corral, the first one they pulled aside, that belonged to the Lord. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, here comes the next ten. That one goes to the Lord. Twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, eight, nine, twenty, twenty-one. That goes to the Lord. And so one, the first out of ten, belonged to the Lord. And this was a faith venture. It is done by faith. What do you mean by faith? Faith is simply hearing or reading what the Word of God says, and then I do it. That's all faith is. I hear the Word of God. Peter walked on the water because he had faith. Uh, it bid me come, Lord. And Jesus said, come. And he stepped out and walked on the water by faith. He did what Christ told him to do. And so we the same way with tithing, we give by faith. We give a tenth, and that's usually easy to figure in the American economy. You get a paycheck, you just... And I had a fellow ask me one time, do I, give, uh, do I give it on the net? 
or do I give it on the gross? Now, the gross is, is the part, the big part, before the government takes their fingers in and the state takes their part out and Medicare and whatever else comes out. That's the big part. And so a fellow in our church one time asked me, um, and he was the manager of a carpenter's union fund, and they had like $30 million or something in the fund, and he was managing it, and he had never heard this before. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you what I do. I tithe on the gross. The government's got their fingers in there, but the top number is what God has given me, and I give him a tenth of that. Now, you can do what you want to do. And he came back the next Sunday, sitting on the second row right there, and he said, come here, preacher. And I came over there and he said, gross. And I said, that's all I need to know. <laughs> and when the market, when the stock market went down through 2008, dropped down to the bottom, I came to him and I said, well, how much did you lose? He said, well, preacher, we lost about $14 million last week, but don't worry, it'll come back. So I, did, I, didn't, I wasn't worried about it to start with because <laughs> I, I wasn't a carpenter to put any money in the carpenter's union fund. Um, but anyway, so the tithe is that 10%. What do you do? You give it to your local church. Now, can I be mean just a moment? Don't give to those TV evangelists. Don't. Well, now, if you'll send $28 every month to me, why, God will bless you. And do if, if God blesses sending $28 extra every month to him, how about putting it in the church treasury and watch God bless you? That makes a lot of sense. Don't be tricked and fooled by some of those. Now, not every preacher on television is evil and wicked and money hungry, but there are some. And uh, when they start asking for your money and that connotation, you know that's not God. It's just not God. Now, the second offering mentioned there is the love offering. And the love offering is dictated by the need. First John three seventeen, I think, says, He that hath... Uh, I better get over and read it. First John 3, 17. It says, But whosoever hath this world's good and said this brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now, the love offering is when our pastor and his wife on Saturday visit an elderly lady in the church. Let's just say Miss Smith uh, to be generic with it. And, she, and they ask her how she's doing. She hadn't been at church in a while, and she says, well, pastor, I've got a need. said, I went to the doctor this week, and I got $200 worth of prescriptions, and I don't have the money for it. And so the pastor and his wife then come to the church on Sunday morning and say, look, uh, Sister Smith's got a need. There's about 100 people here. She needs $200. If everybody could give $2 then we could meet that need, and my wife and I will go. We'll get her prescription. We'll go get her medicine, bring it back to her. If any's left over, we'll hold it for her for the next month. And so they take up a love offering. And when the plate is passed, being good Baptist folks, 
Why, there's three or $400 in there, not 200 And there's more than enough because people love each other. And so then the pastor takes that money and gives to her and says, Now look, next month we already have the money to help you with your money. That's the love offering that's received in the New Testament church. Now, let's go to the mission offering. And I read this over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The mission offering. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And look at verse 6. This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man. Now wait a minute. What? Every? Every? Nobody's exempt. Every man, according as he purposeth. The word purposeth has got a T-H on the end of it in our English. You know what that means? Continually. Continually purpose in your heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now how do we determine how to give each month to the mission program? Well, this offering is dictated by the Holy Spirit. You ask God personally, what can I give to give to missions through this church? What do I need to give? Now, see, the the difference is some folks make more money, better paying jobs than other folks. And uh, some folks are on fixed income. My wife and I are. And so uh, um, it's the kind of thing where uh, each person, it'll be different. But I think a husband and wife ought to talk together. What should we give? Because you're going to give it together as one person. And this word purpose is the same connotation of Daniel when Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. And so you, you ask the Holy Spirit, what, what do I need to give? What do I need to give uh, to the mission program here at Calvary Baptist Church? Um, and it's an act of obedience when the Holy Spirit tells you, well, you ought to give $20 every month. Or you ought to give $30. Or you, you know that good job I've given you? You ought to give $40. Or you ought to give $50. I, I had members of the church I pastored retired but the guy and his wife, the guy worked on a farm as a carpenter for a doctor there in Chattanooga. And he and her uh, gave $120 every month to the mission program. And I didn't tell them to do it. You know who told them? The Holy Spirit. He whispered to them. I started to give an offering one time, Hunter, $20. And the Holy Spirit says, why don't you give? So I gave 40. I'd rather be obedient and have less money. <laughs> but God always blessed. Let me tell you a story, a true story. It happened when I was there in East Chattanooga at Harmony Baptist Church. You love the Lord? Say amen. amen. We, had a, we had vacation Bible school, had a, a missionary family in, and uh, they were helping us in Bible school. They were missionaries to Japan, uh, the Borders family. And... There's a lady in the church working in the vacation Bible school. And at the end of the month, 
uh, end of the vacation Bible school, she came to me and said, Pastor, I'd like to give money for this missionary family every month. And I said, okay, well, let me get you the paperwork and Sunday you can give it. And she gave $25 uh, directed towards the border family in Japan, put in the orphan plate on uh, Sunday, went to work on Monday. She's working at a lawyer's office. And the lawyer came to her desk right before lunchtime and said, Connie, I, I felt this urge to do this this weekend. said, you know, I haven't given you a raise in over a year. I, I think I ought to give you a $75 raise each month. Now, wait a minute. She put $25 in the offering plate, went to work, and the lawyer said, going to give her a $75 raise. Now, wait a minute. That's $25 for the Lord and $50 for her. Okay, she told me that, and I said, well, that's, that's pretty interesting. She said, well, that's not the end of the story. Nine months later, she came to me and said, I want to help another missionary, $25 a month. Guess what happened on Monday morning? I bet you can imagine. She went to work, and the lawyer came to her and says, I can't believe the number of cases we've handled in one, and our, our corporation, our company, Income is so much, and you've worked hard on every one of these cases. I'm giving you another $75 a month raise. You know what I, I told her, Pastor? She should have went every week and gave to missions and milked that cow and see how long it would go. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, And that's a true story. Now, pastors sometime embellish things, Hunter, and you don't know if it's true or not. But that's a true story because that was my baby sister, Connie. And uh, so it, it's, and, and the thing is, God wants to bless us. But he wants us obedient. Obedience is better than sacrifice, Samuel uh, told uh, through Samuel to Saul. We are to obey better. We obey God, obey God's word. So the tithe is dictated by the Bible. The love offered is dictated by the need in the church. And then the missions offering is dictated by the Holy Spirit that speaks to our heart. Now you might say, well, uh, the Holy Spirit told me to do this and I can't, I can't afford it. Well, let me just say try it and see what happens. And see if you can put God to the test. I got time for one illustration. I got five minutes and I can do that. And I may do this again. I'm pretty sure I'll do this again. Three men working at a job. Let's call them Peter, James, and John. Okay? Peter works at a job making $10 an hour. James works at a job makes $20 an hour. John works for a corporation as an executive. If you figured out his salary, it's $100 a month. I mean, $100 an hour. I should say hour. Okay? When they come to the church, uh, Peter gives $20 in. John gives $20 in the offering. Is that Peter, James? And John gives $20. Now to the treasurer, 20, 20, 20, they all gave the same, right? How much time did Peter give? How many hours? Two hours. What about... James, 
James gave $20. He makes $20 an hour. He gave one hour of his time, right? Now, Peter, James, and John. John gave $20. He makes $100 roughly an hour. That is one-fifth. A one-fifth of 60 is like 12 minutes. He gave 12 minutes of his time. You know, when we give to God, we're not just giving money. We're giving our time. He gave two hours, he gave one hour, and he gave 12 minutes to God. You see that? Money represents time. Time is money, money is time. And so when we give to the Lord, it's not just us giving money, but it's us giving our time to be used in the work of God. And the missionary will take my time and put it to work because in the country he's in, he probably cannot work at a public job uh, legally. Okay, so we enable people to go and preach the gospel on our time. Our time. All right, questions. That's a dangerous thing to ask a Baptist church. Questions? Well, we have... We have the mission, that's go, teach, baptize, teach, go. We have the method, Jerusalem, our city, Judea, the county, Samaria, the nursing home and jails, the uttermost part, the remainder of the world. We have the money, the three offerings, the tithe dictated by the Bible, the love offering dictated by the need, the mission offering dictated by the Holy Spirit. Take that home, keep that in your Bible, read it through, look at all the verses, and let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, please open our eyes into what we need to do here at Calvary Baptist Church concerning revival in our hearts and concerning, Father, the work of missions around the world. Lord, save the lost above all things, Father. Reach those that have never heard the gospel. They may hear and believe. Thank you for this church. Meet the need in every heart. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.